Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to the Females Podcast, Summer School Edition. This season, we're heading back to school, career school that is, with experts here to teach us the ins and outs of specific topics. Today's teacher is Dr. Joy Hardin-Bradford, a clinical psychologist and founder of a mental health platform called Therapy for Black Girls, which includes a podcast of the same name. Today, we're going to explore how to have intimidating conversations at work. We've all had them, and for some of us, we might be still scarred about how terrible those conversations went. We also know that intimidating conversations are pretty much a guarantee throughout your career. So I'm thrilled to have Dr. Joy here to shed some light on how we can be better prepared in the future for these conversations. And because we're here for that real talk advice, be sure to stick around until after Dr. Joy's teachable moment, because we'll be answering your listener questions, starting with how can you let your assistant know that she's not managing up very well with upper management? And now, this is the Females Summer School Edition. All right. Well, hi, Dr. Joy. Thanks for joining us today all the way from Atlanta. Thanks so much for having me, Lauren. So intimidating conversations at work. I'm just going to jump right into it because this is a, a big topic. And I think while many of us might try to just avoid these altogether, that's not really a great strategy because, you know, at some point, those intimidating conversations probably are intimidating for a reason. So let's start by discussing, you know, when, how can we filter when we should actually have these conversations and when we can maybe use the strategy of like, all right, this is, you know, not, not worth having the conversation about? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think anything that kind of continues to nag on you, like you realize you try to shake it off, but you just can't let it go or you find yourself kind of like needing to frequently process it with people outside of work or even inside of work. So you take your lunch break and you're talking to your work friend about this thing that happened. You know, I think anything that stays with you longer than, you know, something typically would is probably a good sign that you need to go ahead and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that you 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 definitely know exactly the signs because it's like if you're talking about it or venting with your friends outside of work, but also venting with your friends inside of work about something, which is kind of a whole nother topic. But I mean, how healthy is it to be talking about your intimidating conversations with your coworkers? 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I think in some ways, some of that is necessary, right? Because you're kind of getting your thoughts together and bouncing it off another person, maybe in some ways to kind of get feedback about whether other people are seeing this as well. Right. But I think you don't want to do too much of it because one, it just kind of amps you up in a lot of ways. And so you kind of get all of this fire underneath you. And then maybe the conversation is a little more explosive than initially it could have been. If you <laughs> yeah. <had> just, <laughs> right. If you had just gone to that person initially. Um, so I think you want to kind of be careful about doing too much of processing with other people before you go directly to that person. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is really important because it's processing. It's not avoiding the conversation by instead talking the ears off of other people around you about it. So like at some <laughs> exactly. point. Exactly. You know, it's like, you know, the person who's always breaking up with the same boyfriends. Like at some point you have you can't just talk about it with me. We have to just like have you have that intimidating conversation. Right. It's kind of like that with work where people can only process for so long and then you just have to do it. And that's probably healthy for you, too. Right. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, if you're thinking if you're spending that much energy processing it with somebody else, just Mm -hmm. think of how much energy you're using processing it internally for yourself, right? It's even more energy. So you're using up a lot of energy with this situation that could be kind of dispelled if you would just go ahead and have that conversation. A hundred percent. Okay. You've processed it. You've decided you're going to have the conversation. How can we prepare for and successfully get through difficult conversations at work? Yeah. So I think one of the first things that you want to do is to go ahead and make yourself a list of the points that you want to actually discuss with this person. Because sometimes I think that can help you to streamline your thoughts so that you can try to stay on task as much as possible and to avoid getting overly emotional, if at all possible. So making yourself a list, I think, is really helpful. I think you also want to try to avoid having an audience for this conversation, if possible. You know, I know we're going to be talking about bullying also, but in the case of like just, you know, a coworker misunderstanding or something like that, I think if you can avoid having an audience, it is much more likely that the conversation goes well than if you have like a bunch of people there kind of feeling things in the backfire, in totally. the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, think, I think the other thing that you want to do is to make sure that you remind yourself that you can only take responsibility for sharing your thoughts and feelings. You do not have any control over how this person hears it what they do with the information afterwards and anything after you share. So I think a lot of times we go into conversations thinking that we can kind of dictate the outcome. And as much as you would hope that, you absolutely have no control over it. So, you know, I think sometimes we, we avoid these conversations because we don't want to hurt feelings or we, you know, are afraid of what the outcome will be. But it is important to just go ahead and share your thoughts and feelings without being tied to what the outcome is going to be. Uh, much easier said than done, I'm sure. Of course, of course. So what about communication methods? Because, you know, in the workplace, we have in person, we have email, we have probably some sort of instant messenger. I mean, you have all these ways to communicate if you that are outside of face to face. Is face to face the best way to communicate? I think for most situations, it is going to be. Now, you can use email or instant messenger or something to arrange a time to chat. Um, But I think, you know, still... There is so much missed in written communication that an in-person conversation would be the best thing if possible. Mm -hmm. And then is there any truth to, you know, the timing this should be within, you know, let's say there was an incident, like it should be within 48 hours of the incident. It should be within a week. Like, is there any truth that sooner is better than later? 
Well, I, I think it is true that sooner is better than later in terms of people being able to like remember exactly what happened, right? Like if right. it's three months ago and you're talking about, <laughs> you know, an incident from lunch, most people are likely not going to understand that. So I think the sooner can be better in terms of remembering and also that you are not living with it for that long. You know, if it's something that you're stewing over for weeks at a time, that is not good either. Right. And then I guess the last question is, depend. let's say this is like one of those difficult conversations where it's pretty serious. Like, you know, people could lose jobs or, you know, clients could be let go of or whatever it is like that. Is it is it a good idea to bring, quote unquote, evidence? Like, let's say you're, you know, you're having this difficult conversation with your boss about the fact that they never communicated about X, Y, Z part of a project and I mean, you want to show like email proof or something like that. Like, is that a good idea or does that just really irritate people? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, and even if they get irritated, you have to cover yourself, right? So I think anytime you're you're talking about like a high level kind of a situation where people could be let go or there could be like some serious consequences, you want to have as much proof as possible related to whatever this conversation is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. So I've definitely experienced this in my life where some people are just more intimidating than others. Uh, Like, you know, some person just seems scarier to talk to. Is is there truth to that? Are, Are some people like just born with kind of this more intimidating personality? And what are some specific tips that you can give for dealing with someone, especially like a boss, like a higher up who you're you're nerve, you're really nervous to talk to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question too, Lauren. I'm glad you brought that up um, because I do think that we need to make the distinction between somebody who is intimidating and someone who intimidates you because I think that those are different. So I think that there may be characteristics that u- universally we would find intimidating, right? Like somebody who talks down to other people or makes fun of other people, like almost in a bullying kind of way. Mm-hmm. But I do think that sometimes our interpretation of intimidation is really based on our own histories. So sometimes people we interact with will remind us of an overbearing mother or a really aggravating big sister or something like that. And so we are projecting onto those people sometimes. And it really is not about them. It really is about ourselves. So I do think you want to do some assessment around what you're describing as intimidation because, you know, there's even been research that talks about some of this being a cultural piece, you know, sometimes this word intimidating is thrown around, especially with Black women in the workplace. And when you ask for examples or evidence, the examples that are given are nothing that would be universally classified as intimidating. So some of it is a cultural piece, too. So I do think you want to check in with yourself to see, OK, what about this person is actually making me nervous? Like, is everybody nervous to talk to them or is this something about me and my history that's bringing this up for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we're talking about somebody who is universally, you know, kind of intimidating and everybody in the office is scared of them, I do think, again, that is when you would want to have your paper trail of, you know, any emails that have been exchanged. I think sometimes that can be better with an audience um, because, you know, they may be less likely to be super intimidating or be abusive verbally or something like that with an audience. So having an audience sometimes for those conversations can actually be really helpful. Mm, Interesting. And I, I love that you brought up women of color in the workplace and how they can be, you know, deemed like intimidated just by like, as you said, just like for characteristics that are not consistent, you know, with, you know, quote unquote, being an intimidating person or a bully. I'm kind of curious, like, 
especially I think reviews like annual reviews and now a lot of companies have, you know, 360 peer reviews, et cetera. What if you receive feedback? And I'm, I'm saying this, especially for women of color who have probably gotten feedback like this, where you got the feedback, like you're intimidating or you're, you're really difficult to talk to or not very friendly. And you were like, what? I don't feel that way at all. Cause one, it's, it's very frustrating to get, you know, anonymous feedback, especially when it really doesn't have to do with like your quality of work, but kind of who you are as a person. I mean, what do you do with that? Yeah, I think that that is really tough. And, you know, Lauren, I know that you know this, you know, that that is commonly a, a experience of women of color in the workplace. Like they get this random mm-hmm. feedback about not being friendly and we don't feel like we know you and you're aloof and all of these kinds of things. And I think a lot of that comes from like how the workplace is seen to people from different cultural groups. Because I think for a lot of communities of color, like work is where you go to like make a living and then like to support the rest of your life. Whereas other people can, I think, get into this whole like feeling like work is a family and all of these things that are not congruent for communities of color. And so I think sometimes that feedback comes from wanting people to kind of give you more in the workplace than you feel like is really necessary to do your job. So I think it's really important to make sure that you're not internalizing that so that you are not thinking that I'm a bad person, like I'm a bad coworker because I did these things to these people. But it's more about this kind of company culture that doesn't really fit with my culture and my view of what the workplace should be like. Mm -hmm. That's that's such a good point, too, just because you have to find the workplace culture that aligns with your values. And I think that's really important, especially for being successful at a job, because part of being successful at the job is, you know, being able to collaborate and work well with people. Right. But I do think it is also incumbent upon workplaces to make sure that they are sensitive and attentive to like people's values in general. Right. Because I think when you're thinking about like, okay, find the place that works for you, then what is the diversity looking like if like people of color don't feel comfortable in this kind of a a situation? You know, like what is the company doing then to make sure that the company values match a diverse set of needs? Mm -hmm. Companies definitely need to step up with that 100 percent. And we had a the head of diver- or inclusion and diversity from Pinterest on in season two. And she talks a lot about that. And I, I think I think it's it's the beginning of what you and I just chatted about. But it, it you know, it's not company. You know, it's not like every company is there yet. There's still a lot of work to do. Of course. OK, so let's talk about being intimidated by a bully at work. And we've actually at Career Contessa, we've written articles about this, but we've also had more women write in about being bullied by another woman than, I mean, I was kind of shocked. I, I, you know, it's kind of like we opened up the can of worms and I wasn't expecting like to hear a lot, especially because we're in the, you know, the age of Instagram memes where it's like women supporting women. I I thought Mm -hmm. probably there was more of that happening, but it does seem like some of the bullying at work is coming from women to women. So what's your advice for dealing with workplace bullies in general? And then what about this you know, female to female bullying specifically? Yeah. So I think, again, document, document, document. You know, I think you want to, like, at the first sign that something can be going off with a coworker, that they may be bullying you or acting in a way that's aggressive or inappropriate, you want to be documenting that and forwarding that to whoever is in charge of, like, taking care of those kinds of complaints. Um, And then you want to document what, if anything, happened after you forwarded it. You know, so did you notice any changes? Were you called into a meeting to give a report? Like, you want to just make sure 
that you're covering yourself to indicate that you have followed all of the proper things that you're supposed to do in the workplace to kind of make sure that you try to get this information taken care of. And then either people did respond or they did not respond. And I think, again, that is a case of you wanting to make sure that you're not internalizing the bully's behavior, because I think sometimes people get into this this thing of thinking like, oh, there's a reason or there's something about me that this person is picking on me. When really it indicates much more about the bully and what's going on for them, and it's not actually about you. Yeah. Um. I think I think that when we see these issues of like women to women kind of bashing and bullying in the workplace, it comes a lot from a scarcity mindset and people feeling like there can only be one woman at the top, right? So if there's going to be like a VP on the board, they're likely not going to pick more than one woman. So I have to prove that I'm the best one for this job. When I think if we were more supportive of one another, then we could either change company culture so that people are forced to kind of feel like there could be multiple women who are playing at these lead roles, or we develop our own companies where we don't have to deal with that. Okay. Um, you know, so I think a lot of it comes from though, this competition that I think kind of people put on women that is not always true. But I do think that we play into it because some companies do make it seem as though there can only be one woman at the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh, we've heard that before as also from other guests on the show when we talk about this topic and or you know, even areas related to this topic, it's like there there has to be more women at the top who are able to implement change and policies. And so that scarcity mindset goes away too. So yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's the absolute truth, you know? And so, and I also think for women who are um, managing other women and leaders themselves, I mean, the best thing that you can do is is not play into this, you know, and not play into the scarcity and make sure that, you know, you're promoting other women and, and, mentoring other women and making sure they have the same opportunities and checking your own unconscious bias. Absolutely. I agree with that. Well, thank you, Dr. Joy. This has been super insightful. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that have to have difficult conversations at work and your advice is going to be super helpful for them. I'd love for you to tell them a little bit more about where they can find you and if if you can just share a little bit more about therapy for Black girls. Yeah, so you can find everything related to Therapy for Black Girls online at therapyforblackgirls.com. The entire platform is dedicated to making mental health topics more relevant and accessible for Black women and girls. So it is inclusive of a weekly podcast, and there is also a therapist directory that has over 1,200 therapists across the country who love and are excited about doing great clinical work with Black women and girls. So it's kind of designed to be the online hub for everything Black women and girls would need related to taking care of their mental health. I love it. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you, Lauren. Hey there, let's take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, Audible. Living in Los Angeles, I spend a lot of time sitting in traffic like three hours each day, a lot. During my long commute, I need something that's going to keep me engaged and inspired. That's why I'm obsessed with Audible. Instead of staring at the bumper ahead of me every morning and every evening, I'm able to escape into a compelling story via Audible's vast selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, business and self-improvement, as well as memoirs and more that are professionally narrated by actors, authors, and motivational superstars. It's a whole new experience to hear Michelle Obama in your ear, let me tell you. The Audible app also makes it convenient to listen on the go, no matter what your commute looks like. And the app even gives you free access to the New York Times, Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal, 
all delivered in the app. Listening makes us smart, more connected people, and it makes us better partners, parents, and leaders. And there's no better place to start listening than Audible. Audible members now get more than ever before. Members choose three titles every month, one audiobook plus two Audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else. Whether you're in the mood for an audiobook or professional development, self-improvement, or you're just trying to hear about today's news, Audible has you covered. Start listening today with a 30-day Audible trial and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. Visit audible.com slash females or text 500-500 to start listening today. That's audible.com slash females. All right, now let's get back to the show. All right, it's that time in the show when we hear real voicemails left by you, our listeners, and do our best to give you some real talk career advice. And to help, I've invited back Kayleen Cahiz, who runs content at Career Contessa, to also give her two cents. Today's voicemail is about how can you let your assistant know that she's not managing up very well when it comes to upper management. All right, let's listen in. Hi, my name is Natalie, and I work in uh, real estate management. I'm a manager, and I have an assistant, and we have a really great relationship. Recently, I've noticed that when my assistant goes off to visit our properties, she's gone for way longer than she needs to, and I'm assuming that she's either taking her time, getting back to the office, or running errands. I haven't said anything to her about this because I don't want it to seem like I'm accusing her of this, but I do see that that upper management is starting to notice. Should I say something to her about this or just let them handle it? I don't want to make things weird between us, and I think I might if I'm uh, the one who says something to her. I appreciate your advice and your time. Thank you. Bye. All right, Natalie. Well, that is a really good question, and it's certainly a tough one. Right away, I started to think about the fact that, you know, we talk about this thing called managing up, which is essentially how you communicate and work with upper management. And that's everything from your verbal communication to your body language. And certainly, if you're in the office and what you're working on, and it's really, you know, I know this is your assistant, so you're kind of the layer in between, but it definitely reflects on you as a manager. And I do think that you should be the one to have the initial conversation with her. What do you think, Kayleen? Um, Well, I was thinking, actually, it's super appropriate that this podcast before this is about having intimidating conversations, and this is definitely one. I would start off by definitely being up front, but not being accusatory. So that would maybe look more something like giving her just like a brief overview, maybe one day before leaving for kind of a site visit and saying something like, all right, well, uh, we're going to go see the site at 10 a.m. and I'll meet you back at the office at noon. Something like that where you're you're not you're just kind of mentioning the expectations without without coming down on her too hard. But I do think if if it continues to happen, then I do think it's important to make sure you're not being taken advantage of um, and that she's sort of respectful of you as a manager. Right. I mean, I mean, if, if this is a reflection of you as a manager, then you want to make sure that she's doing a good job, but you can't just assume without communicating. So communicate. Here's the expectation. I definitely love the idea of setting a time like, hey, that's great that you're going to run by those sites. So I'll see you back here in an, in an hour because communicating ahead of time will really 
you know, hopefully she'll just come back in the hour. And time. Yeah. And maybe time if you start, <laughs> yeah, maybe if you start saying that every time, she'll pick up on the fact that you are starting to notice. I think though, it, you know, it, the other thing you want to do is maybe have a conversation with the fact of like, hey, we do have to run out and go to sites and properties, but our, we cannot be gone all day. You know, what is it that you're going to be going over to the site for? So having that clear, com- you know, I don't want to like be beating the dead horse about clear communication, but talking about it before she just picks up her keys and goes. Yeah. And then I would say if you try this, I mean, really only like two or three times and if it, if she's still yeah. rolling in at you know two or three with you know five <laughs> Starbucks yeah frappuccinos then maybe that's the time to have the more head-on conversation because I think you said something about a, y- your management is starting to notice and you'd really want to I feel like nip this in the bud before they're going to come down on you and then you have to come down on them and you know there has to be this game of telephone of he yep. she said that she said that she said that she's not doing this so I think if you if you set those guidelines, if you communicate like hard times and they're still just being missed, like not by like 10 minutes, but by like hours, yeah. then I think it's time to have like a one of the, a more difficult conversation, which is. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess it's difficult in the sense that you have to ask a person like, hey, why aren't you back? Like there's a little <laughs> bit of like a confrontation with that. But I also feel like this is one of those things where it's not really part of the day-to-day job description for you to be gone for hours. Like mm-hmm. you are supposed to go to the site and come back. So, uh, you know, you're, you're doing your job and that's what you're supposed to do. And then in terms of upper management, if they're starting to notice and they're kind of looking around and wondering like, hey, did, didn't that person leave at this time and why aren't they back yet? You should be communicating with them too. Like make sure they're looped in and the fact that, you know, or, or maybe have the conversation so they're able to pick up on it. I, I just feel like you have to manage up just like she has to manage up. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that a lot of people hate the whole managing up thing, but it is it, it is a bit of an art and it is important because they might not really know. They're being kept in the dark if you're not communicating. And mm-hmm. so it's really your job. I mean, I, Kayleen talks a lot th- about this a lot, which is this whole like cover your ass theory. It's like make sure you are one step ahead with it mm-hmm. so that – she's not gone for three hours and then they set this new rule or you guys get in trouble or whatever it is. And so letting them know that you're aware of it and you're handling it, I think is actually helpful too. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you want to leave us a voicemail, we'd absolutely love that. And we only have one more summer school episode left. So don't wait to call us. It's 844-FEMALES or that's 844-336-2457. We'll be back next Tuesday with Jamie Pecanics, a recruiter with over 10 years of experience to discuss how to explain having gaps on your resumes actually affects your chances of getting the job or not. But until then, you can follow us on our new podcast Instagram channel at The Females Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. I've seen some really good resumes where it says, you know, took this time after working for a decade to travel to new places that I've never been and immerse myself in the culture and X, Y, Z, and just share a little context on like why this time was meaningful. And, you know, it's a bonus if you've done anything super relevant to what you want to do next during that time. So if you have, don't hesitate to share that.